0: Today, we have a guest with us, Dr. Sam Goggin, who's a pediatrician working with us here at UC Davis Children's Hospital, who is here to discuss the very important topic, especially now as we move into the summer months of sun safety with children. Thanks for
2: being here, Sam. Hi, thank you guys for having me here with you today. So I'm glad we have a chance to talk about sun safety I think that sun protection is an issue that's really important to talk about with parents, especially as we get into the warmer months. Yeah, it's
0: extremely important. I feel like Parents are not only asking, like, when can I put sunscreen on my baby or should I even go outside or my teenager is like slathering themselves in Crisco and laying on (laughs) tinfoil in the backyard. Uh I don't know if that's actually happening, but that's what my mom said she used to do when she was a teenager. Well, we'll get into why that's bad later.
2: So I saw a four-month-old patient in clinic a while back and had an interesting conversation with the parent regarding sun exposure. So we were talking about vitamin D supplementation and her mom asked if sunlight would be a good alternative to taking a vitamin D supplement. And while it is true that the sun is a source of vitamin D, it's important to reiterate that there are many risks associated with sun exposure that can be especially damaging for infants and children. So we know that sun exposure and sunburns in childhood multiplies the risk of developing skin cancers as adults and that it's really important that we protect our kids' skin from the harmful UV rays. So just one blistering sunburn in childhood can double the risk of developing melanoma later in life.
0: Wow, just one blistering sunburn. That is really significant.
1: Right, I'm trying to think how many I had when I was a kid and, what my, and how that increased my risk.
0: It's really easy to forget how common and prevalent skin cancer is, but it's actually the most common cancer in the United States and worldwide.
1: I I didn't know that at all. Yeah.
0: Every year, about 5 million skin cancers are diagnosed in the United States. Skin cancer is also one of the most preventable cancers. So there's so much that we can teach parents and kids that they can do to limit their exposure and mitigate their risk of getting skin cancer down the line.
1: Mm -hmm. So let's start by talking about SPF. We all see this. This is the sun protection factor, and there's been such a range in terms of what we have all been told or heard about um, SPF. So the American Academy of Pediatrics, our organization, they recommend applying a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or greater. The higher the SPF, the more protection you get. And the American Academy of Dermatology recommends an SPF of 30 or greater.
2: And so, as someone with extremely fair skin, <laughs> yeah, I always... you guys
0: could see Dr. Sam. She is <laughs> very
2: beautifully pale. But you have to take sun protection a little bit more seriously than others. Yeah. Thank you, Lena. Um, So I've always opted for using an SPF of 50 or above even. Um, but I've also heard that there's pretty minimal benefit in using anything over SPF 30. So for example, if you're using SPF 30, it will result in a skin exposure that's one thirtieth that received by unprotected skin. So it's still letting about 3% of the UV rays hit your skin. If you're using SPF 50, it's about 2%.
0: Interesting. So it's a small percentage change. But if you're considering damage accruing over time, if you're a kid that was raised on the beach like yours truly, it probably does make a difference.
2: And so while I tend to go for the higher SPFs, I think it's interesting that this is actually one situation where people seem to intentionally choose the product that's less effective. So most people actually tend to pick the lower SPF. If they have a choice between 30 and 50, I think a lot of people end up using the SPF 30. And so with any other product like hand sanitizer, for example, if you had one product that was 97% effective and one that was 99% effective... No one would ever deliberately choose the one that works a little bit less well. People would always choose the one that works better, even if it's only a small difference. But with sunscreen, this seems to be the one time where people actually choose the product that works a little bit less.
1: Yeah, does the SPF, does it cost more with higher SPF?
2: And it doesn't. If you've looked at the same brand of sunscreen and compared, for example, the SPF 30 to the SPF 50, the cost is exactly the same. And so I think this actually just reflects that people really want to get a little bit of color, but still feel like they did their part while using, you know, using sunscreen and saying, oh, I, I put on SPF, I was wearing sunscreen, but still got a little bit of tan. And in reality, any color change is reflective of skin damage, and there's really no safe tan.
1: So I just want to butt in here because it just seems like as a society, we value darker skin color. Like it, look, it looks healthy in a way, Right. Right. You're like now until you're
0: older and you have all of the wrinkles (laughs) showing up for it. So, yeah, I think you're right. And it is something it's culturally normed and it's something that we need to sort of reframe for people, which can be difficult. Mm -hmm. And it's also not just the SPF that matters when you're choosing sunscreen. You want to get a sunscreen that's water resistant, especially if you're planning on sweating or going swimming, and you want one that's broad spectrum, which means that it blocks both the UVA as well as the UVB rays.
1: And just to review for everybody, UV is that stands for ultraviolet. These are different wavelengths of light that are not visible to the human eye. Both UVA and UVB rays are harmful to the skin. UVA is the wavelength that's associated with skin aging. And UVB is associated with burns.
0: Parents need to remember that they have to apply an adequate amount of sunscreen and apply it frequently enough. So this is something that's not just like lather your child up and send them off for 12 hours to day camp. It's something that needs to be done repeatedly. So for an adult, an ounce of sunscreen should be enough to cover all exposed areas. And for kids, it's probably going to be about half of that.
1: That sounds like a lot. Is that really really does that, that much? seem
0: like a lot oh no you should see my husband is dr Sam's complexion and he goes through like I've never seen someone go through so much sunscreen that's like an appropriate amount
1: okay okay
0: yeah it's also important that you don't miss commonly missed areas so like the ears the feet the neck those are all commonly forgotten about areas so you want to make sure that you get that and if you're using bug spray so in certain areas not as much here, although sometimes of the year the mosquitoes are out. You want to make sure that it goes on after the sunscreen. Is that correct, Dr. Dean?
1: Yeah, thanks for mentioning that because the last thing you want to see is kids getting mosquito or tick-borne infections, things like Lyme disease, for example. So that goes on last, after the sunscreen.
0: Always bringing it back to infectious disease. Right. You can count on him for that. (laughs)
2: And so sunscreen really does need to be reapplied every two hours or even more frequently if you've been doing something like swimming or toweling off or other vigorous activity. Um, So another consideration when choosing sunscreen is chemical versus physical blockers. So physical blockers create a barrier on the skin that protects it from UV light, whereas chemical blockers absorb and scatter the UV rays. So examples of physical blockers are products that contain something like zinc oxide or titanium dioxide. The physical blockers are usually what you think of when you picture the lifeguard like sitting by the pool with a completely white nose. With a chemical blocker, you need to wait about 20 minutes or so before going in the sun to allow it to work. But with physical blockers, there's no wait time and you can go out right after applying it. Um, however, the physical blockers tend to be pretty thick and can be a little bit harder to apply and rub in. And they also come off easier, so they need to be reapplied more frequently. But the bottom line really is that both chemical and physical blockers are effective. So it's really just about picking a product that you and your child will use reliably. Huh? I've
0: never heard of the chemical versus f- physical blocker. Is it I wonder if it's more like the ingredient, like the zinc oxide, and if it really says on there if it's like chemical or physical on the bottle, but that's something to look into. I remember my dermatologist at one point had recommended a zinc-based sunscreen, and you're right. I put it on, and I was like, well, now I am a ghost <laughs> they can be like very, very white-looking but are, um, are I guess, good for the skin. A lot of parents ask me when the summertime comes if there's a difference between those spray bottles that are very convenient to just kind of, like, hit the kid really fast and then the lotion types where you have to more, like, hold them down and, and lather them up. Both can work well if used correctly and in the appropriate amounts. So it can be difficult, you know, with the spray bottles to see exactly where you're getting the kids so you kind of hit their arms and their legs and maybe you don't rub it down and you're just like chasing them before they get in the pool and so then it's easy to miss some areas versus the the lotion you can kind of like see you everywhere that you're getting um and so that might be more the easier to do like an even thick coat and then some people can be sensitive to the the sprays and if they're inhaled or they're they're irritated by them, so you want to avoid that if anyone is sensitive um to those kind of things
1: so thats so the sprays sound a little bit trickier um to
0: use <laughs> well, they're actually a lot easier to use i like I think parents prefer them. I definitely prefer them when I have access, but I think the danger is that you're going to be missing some of those critical areas. So if you're using them and then you're rubbing in the areas to be missed, I think it's, it's okay. I mean, it's definitely better than nothing.
1: Yeah, and that's what I've seen a lot of people do is use the spray and then, just, and then rub it in afterwards just as a different way of putting it on. Another question that I know that um, we hear a lot is, when's it safe to start using sunscreen um, for babies? And the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends starting sunscreen use at six months of age. So what happens before six months of age?
0: You keep them out of the sun, if possible. Um, So, you know, making sure that they're dressed in protective clothing, that adequately covers exposed skin, that if they're in a stroller or you're at a park, that they have a shade structure, We want to really prevent the sun exposure in kids under six months because their skin is just different um, and it's really, really susceptible to being burned. We also recommend avoiding being outside when the UV light penetration is the strongest, which tends to be between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. I know that's kind of a long, large time frame when people want to be out on like picnics and stuff. So if you're going out, bring a shade structure, an umbrella, something that you can keep your little one out of the sun.
1: So it's also important to remember that no sunscreen is completely effective at filtering out all the UV rays. And so that using a sunscreen doesn't mean that you get to just be out as much as you want and exposed to sun. So make sure to use hats and protective clothing and sunglasses. These are also good ways to limit sun exposure. The United Kingdom has come up with a clever campaign to promote sun safety, and it's referred to as the five S's. Slip, slop, slap, slide, and shade. You slip on a T-shirt, and you slop on the SPF 30 or greater sunscreen. You slap on a broad-brimmed hat. You slide on quality sunglasses, and you shade from the sun whenever possible.
2: So I'm glad you brought up sunglasses. Eye protection is also really important and something that's commonly overlooked. So some things to consider um, when choosing sunglasses are something that's marked as 100% UVA and UVB protection. And a lot of sunglasses don't actually have adequate UV protection, so it's important to look into this when you're buying a pair of sunglasses. Another consideration is size. So I think we all remember the trend of oversized sunglasses around 2010. But I remember trying to get on board with this trend and having a friend tell me that wearing oversized sunglasses just made me look like a giant insect. But the joke (laughs) is on them because larger sunglasses, especially those that have like a wraparound style, actually offer better protection and cut down on the amount of UV entering from the side and other angles.
0: Polarization is something that comes up when you're buying sunglasses, like, oh, did you get the polarized lenses? But that just refers to decreasing glare, and it actually doesn't do anything to protect from the UV rays. So in addition to polarizing, if you choose to get that, you want to make sure something has UV protection.
2: So another topic that commonly comes up is the idea of a base tan. So we've all heard someone talk about going tanning prior to going on like a tropical vacation somewhere to help build up a tan and prevent them from getting burned on vacation. But this is absolutely not true and this does not work. And if if you think about it, it really doesn't even make sense. It's like damaging your skin before you go out to damage your skin more. And it only ends up increasing the UV exposure to your skin, and it really just does nothing protective.
1: But what about teenagers and um, tanning beds? Did either of you ever use tanning beds in high school or have friends who did that?
0: I have used a tanning bed once before. I was in high school, and I think it was probably before, like... An event like a dance or something but I remember like immediately feeling guilty even just like walking in I don't even think I told my parents because I was like so <laughs> felt so bad about it and I never went back but like I mentioned in the beginning I grew up in San Diego so I was basically raised on the beach and that cannot be good for my skin
1: So you're not going to get in trouble now, are you, from (laughs) when your father hears this? It was just
0: (laughs) one time.
1: Okay.
0: But data from 2009 from the Center for Disease Control estimated that previously, probably back when I was 2009, it was actually before that, when I was probably using a tanning bed, that at that time 15.6% of U.S. high school students were using a tanning bed within the last year. And luckily, I think based on um, lots of different factors, including being armed with more information about the risk of skin cancer. That number has decreased, and it was 5.6 when they looked in 2017. So we are definitely moving in the right direction, away from tanning beds.
1: That's still pretty scary, though, considering that even just one indoor tanning session can increase the risk of developing skin cancer substantially. The risk of developing melanoma after one session increases by 20%, It increases the risk of basal cell carcinoma by 29% and squamous cell carcinoma by 67%.
2: So, a really great alternative to using tanning beds, and especially for the teen group, is sunless tanners. So, I know what you guys are thinking that it's like some lotion that turns you orange and it stains everything, but there are actually a lot of really good natural looking and easy to use sunless tanners out there that can be a good alternative to this. And so, these products don't involve exposing your skin to harmful UV rays and work by an ingredient called DHA that binds to the proteins on the top layer of your skin and causes it to look darker. So the American Academy of Dermatology actually has some helpful tips on how to apply self-tanner on their website, but it's still really important to remember that sunless tanner doesn't actually offer any sun protection, so you need to be wearing sunscreen when you go outside.
0: We will post that link of how to apply self-tanner on our website.
1: Yeah, I didn't know that they made them that look natural. Oh, yeah, they do.
0: Some of them look really good. They've gotten
2: really better over time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that one of the reasons that teenagers' rate of tanning beds has gone down is because the um, selfless tanner has gone up. And um, people are getting things like spray tans or using it themselves, and that's great.
1: Now, what about people who have naturally darker complexions? Do they need to wear sunscreen or worry about sun exposure? And I think, you know, we've had that question before, right? And and the answer is yes. Um because their risk of developing skin cancer is lower than those with lighter skin tones, but there's still a risk. And so they should still take the same precautions and use sunscreen to protect their skin.
0: Yeah, definitely. So let's say you do all, you take all of these precautions, you stay out of the sun between 10 and 4 and you use half an ounce and you lather your kids up, but they still get a sunburn. They sneak by or maybe they were at their friend's house. There are a few things you can do to minimize or alleviate some of the discomfort they can have. Again, of course, if you're still in the sun, you want to make sure that they're out of the sun. The redness that you see typically shows up between two and six hours after the exposure and peaks within 24 hours. Sometimes a medicine like ibuprofen or... Tylenol can help reduce the pain and some of those NSAIDs like ibuprofen can reduce the swelling and redness associated. And then a lot of families use things like lotion or aloe vera-containing skin products that can soothe the skin and make it feel better, in addition to like a cool compress. Always, when you've been in the hot sun, you want to make sure that the kid is drinking plenty of water to prevent dehydration because they can lose some of their water through their skin when they've gotten a sunburn. So definitely encourage hydration.
2: And so things to see a doctor for um if your child develops blistering that covers a large part of the body shows signs of a skin infection so things like pus draining out of it um red streaks leading from the blister or if the sunburn is accompanied by confusion high fever chills or severe dehydration those would all be things to take your child into their pediatrician for
0: right that could be like um a sign of heat stroke those last things, the high fever, chills, confusion. So those are all things you need to be seen for, for sure.
1: Well, thanks, Dr. Sam, for bringing all this great information um, to us. So today, in summary, we talked about um, a lot about sun safety, and we talked about choosing the right sunscreen. So at least a SPF of um, 30 is what we're recommending. 30
0: or greater, that you want to make sure you cover all areas, including difficult-to-reach areas like behind the ears, the back of the neck, the feet. We want to make sure that we avoid tanning beds. And if we do feel like we need to get a tan, let's go for some of those safer sunless tanning options.
1: Mm -hmm. Use sunglasses and any other sun protection you can with hats or other sun protective gear, um, that that's appropriate.
0: Exactly. And then if you notice... A sunburn, there are many things you can do, including um, taking some pain reliever medication, cool compresses, aloe vera. And if you notice severe signs like blistering, high fevers, dehydration, then definitely bring your child in to see their physician.
1: And that reminds me of a joke. Did you hear about the teenager who didn't get the job that she wanted at the sunscreen company? No, why? No, well, she was really disappointed. But the good news was that they told her that she can always reapply two hours later.
0: (laughs) That's actually a good one. That's one of your better ones. (laughs) Thank you. So
1: we'd like to thank um, Dr. Samantha Goggin for joining us today and being our guest um, on this episode.
2: Yeah, thank you guys for having me.
0: Dr. Dean and I take responsibility for any errors or misinformation. Have you guys had a really bad sunburn in the past?
2: I have had a few very bad sunburns, um, especially like in my scalp. I used to braid my hair when I played soccer and then my scalp would just fry. So that's actually a good um, time to be using the uh, sunscreen sprays because you can get it. Yeah, almost like a hairspray. That's a really good point.
0: That's one of those frequently missed areas. I grew up on the beach. I rarely used sunscreen, honestly, at that time, just because my parents, you know, as a teenager, they weren't around reminding me. And that's really hard to, like, remind yourself to every two hours to reapply. Maybe I would reapply when I got or apply when I got there. But as I've gotten older, I've seen even, you know, I'm 30. I've seen the effects of the sun damage on myself now. And I look back and I think, why didn't you do that? So it's one of those things that really educating teenagers, I think, in the office setting or parents reminding kids or always sending them to the beach with a bottle or a spray is really important.
1: I think we've all had the experience when you were talking about the pay attention to all these other areas. I mean, for me, the areas that I sometimes miss and I always pay attention to now is like the back of the knees when you're going hiking and you just don't think of that but then like at the end of the hike you've got like burned back of the knees and and ears you know always like right at the top of the ear i I always pay extra attention now after some bad experiences
0: so painful and sleeping after a sunburn is the worst so we hope that we can prevent that from happening for all of our listeners and their kids
1: absolutely